0: For more information, visit outdooredge.com.
1: Welcome to the Hunt of War Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red
0: meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it.
1: This is episode 123, Huntivore's Hog Summary. On this episode of Huntivore, Nick has some time to ponder about his hog hunting trip and gotten some pork cooked so it's time to wrap up the saga on Oklahoma Wild Pigs. Laying out a bit of the process he went through, Nick covers most of the the after-the-shot details. Gutting, hanging, the high-drama hair torching, and chilling a couple hundred pounds of pork carcasses. Along with his own observations, Nick has taken the testimony of Andrew and John on their experience of turning wild hogs into flavorful pork. A whole lot of reminiscing on this episode of Huntivore. Dry-aged steaks used to be a steakhouse-only indulgence. An old-world charcuterie was pricey due to being imported or created at a small-batch-specific scale. Thanks to Umai Dry, their synthetic dry-aging bags and casings allow you to create these meat-crafting treats in your own kitchen. Working in tandem with your fridge, the Umay Dry bag material allows moisture and air to pass through making it possible to dry-age large cuts of steaks or roasts. Paired with their curing and seasoning kits, along with safe and easy-to-follow instructions, salamis and dry sausage are well within your grasp. Use the link in the show notes and sign up for the newsletter to receive 10% off your order. Umai Dry, helping us elevate our wild game from the home kitchen. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifle barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The TapaQ line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. TapaQ uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the US, along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit com or find the link in the show notes and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your cue. Well, hey, folks. Beautiful day here in Michigan. Here we are mid-three-quarters way through April, and we're getting some more snow showers. Just a wonderful thing uh, to keep you humble when it comes to spring Yes, we are going to get some warm temperatures, but uh, old man winter always has the left hook, always has the haymaker ready to punch uh, whenever you're unsuspecting. So here we are getting some snow. It won't be any accumulation, but it'll definitely just kind of put a damper on the day. But anyway... That's neither here nor there. Uh, Today, this is a bonus episode. Here I am promising a bonus episode a couple weeks ago and just not being able to pull through it. Life comes at you really fast when you get three boys into sports. And then you have uh, work on top of things. You have things at home. And the, the podcast got put off onto the back burner for at least oh, a good week and a half. But here we are. I'm dumping the bonus episode on you here. This is the reaction episode to the hog hunt that I went on early in the month. Late late March, early uh April here. And I'm gonna take you through kind of the oh after the shot so to speak. I'm going to be bringing you along on a journey of after uh, we got the pigs. I will talk a little bit about uh, the hunt that, um, that I finished off on. Um, I was actually looking this up as we speak because over on the Ohio Outdoors podcast on Sportsman's Empire, Andrew uh, did a Uh, podcast with us and really went through uh the previous days of the hunt and so i'm going to see if i can't find that link here and be able to tell you where to find that at but he has a great in-depth on the events that happened and from there we then carry on into uh the rest of of the hunt that would have been April 5th, that he dropped that on. I don't see a number, but it's entitled Cowboy Up, Oklahoma Hogs, and Missouri Coyotes. So he picks up uh, a little bit of our trip on that uh, on that end. But anyway, uh, it was a great time to get a chance to know uh, John from the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. Uh, what an amazing host. Had us down, um, put us up in... You know, at at first I was assuming a cabin turned out to be this uh, amazing house that was on his property. And so we lived in the laugh of luxury. We were enjoying a great time uh, at his property, not only just lounging during the early part of the day, but then being able to come back and just be able to crash and get some good night's sleep even though we didn't take advantage of hardly any good rest. We were all chomping at the bit and uh, spending most of our evenings uh, chasing hogs. But again, thanks to John uh, for being just an amazing host, putting us up and having just a wealth of knowledge as we, as we chased after these pigs. Um, Dan Matthews from the nomadic podcast, nomadic outdoors podcast came along too. Uh, He was on a, just uh, yeah, I got I got some free time. I'm gonna swing on through and joined in, and it was great to be able to get a chance to meet him, uh, and just see his expertise behind the gun, behind the trigger. Uh, the man is definitely very, uh, very skilled behind a rifle, and that showed not only in just several opportunities that we had, uh, but even just you know being his execution of taking, um, the hogs that he did earlier was just superb did a great job with that Andrew uh it was fun to get a chance to to hang with him too from the Ohio outdoors podcast I know normally people from Michigan and Ohio don't get along but uh, we may do we did our best uh, to just kind of stomach our differences well I'm I'm not much of uh, the big brother fan'm I'm, I'm a state fan so the Ohio uh Ohio State uh Michigan rivalry wasn't quite there so it, it was helpful but we got our digs in but Andrew, um, again, great guy, being able to offer some expertise, talked about how he joined uh, the Missouri guys and uh, in, in a coyote hunt, and so just translated his knowledge into using uh, those thermal optics and helping, uh, helping, yeah, novices like me understand what's going on, how do I use this stuff, and, and just kind of translate into night hunting. That was a, a big learning curve for me, um, going from, from just someone who who is who's chased whitetail, and then you know when things get dark, it's kind it's kind of over. Like you're you're done. Um, there's not a not a whole lot that you you can do once it get once it gets dark. But then to be able to now extend hours and through optics and through mon- through monoculars and through binoculars, be able to see through the night and see the thermal imaging of these critters as they move about, and to use that. That piece of equipment was just so stinking cool. Um, I went down there. Um, I was gonna run the run the slug gun, and then getting down there, um, you know, John John liked my plan. He's like, this this would be an, a good a good weapon to use. He said, uh, I I still have my AR here that you're more than welcome to use, uh, giving you maybe not more punch, but a lot more. Uh, lot more shots on the ready i I wouldn't have to pump i'd have more than five and so i ended up taking up up on that and so then i ran his ar uh during during the pig hunts and ultimately like after using that and being someone who said you know living here in michigan i can just get by with with five in a tube i can get by uh just being really good with a shotgun um i still i still really think that i i can get by but you know we've i have really warmed up to that AR or AR platform, especially in the uh, idea of if there's going to be another chance to go chase hogs. I'm gonna I'm gonna want a little bit more firepower to be put in downrange. Uh, maybe not necessarily uh, the higher caliber, but at the same time, just having the more shots to go downrange. So that that was really fun. It was very generous of him to be able to to offer that up and to, to let me use that. Uh, but yeah, man, chasing hogs all night. And then just being so giddy, being so ready, just something so new, exciting, like sleeping. I tried to sleep. I tried to lay down, but something in me was like, get up and and be a part of of what's going on. So, yeah, I didn't necessarily get a long night's sleep a couple of those nights. Um, After our long endeavor, um, we did get the hogs back. We got them hung up in this pecan tree, which was right next to uh, the house. And John was really excited actually to hang something from this tree. Um, he was saying that you know he would love to be able to hang a deer up from him here, but it, it's in view of the road and it's not so much that people would be upset about it, but you know whether that whether that deer would be there in the morning um, if somebody were to catch eyes of it would be the the tough part. But the hogs were going. The hogs weren't going to go anywhere, and so hanging those up and actually quartering them out, it really did look like a, a porky wind chime, uh, as we as we called it. It looked like yeah a nursery mobile gone wrong uh, with hogs. But we we had our hogs all hanging up there, and from my discussions with uh, actually the, the episode that dropped last week with Brandon Sheard. Um, I wanted then to be able to get the utmost out of these hogs. And so getting up after our long hunt or long night, uh, getting up and knowing that, hey, we still have still have some work to do. And that's where we were going to, I was going to uh, torch these hogs with the propane torch that I had. And then I was going to split the hogs to get those uh, into into coolers. So we were going to go split them down the, down the spine, and then we would then quarter then appropriately just to get those into the many coolers that we had available. So I got up that morning, got some coffee started because, man, we were going to need that uh, to get this going. And I grabbed a pallet that I found uh, in one near one of the sheds and drug that over to the cement pad and lowered down the big sow that, that was hanging we we estimated her at least john estimated her at around like 250 pounds very big animal um an image that i i've kind of been posting around I'm, I'm i'm not sure if i shared it on uh instagram or not but anyway where i'm i'm standing in between two halves of this critter uh with what i in each side of me it it is the same size like i like me and this critter, were we would take up the same mass. Now, she was definitely heavier than I was, but at the same time, like, just to the scale, this is the size of a person, essentially, and it was like, wow, just so much uh, pork here at our disposal. But anyway, I dropped her onto that pallet and went to town, uh, sparked off the uh, torch and began to blow flame onto the hair. My first re like, I, again, I had to figure out, like... What is this going to take? How long is this going to take? Is it more of a mess? Is this worth it? And as I began torching, the one thing I thought was going to happen is I am singeing all of this hair. There is going to be a smoke. There is going to be the smell of singed hair everywhere. Uh, This is going to be a a tough start. It, It was not that experience. There was some smoke, and there is a bit of a char smell, but it was not a smell of... Burnt hair of singed hair that you get after blasting your face uh, off your gas grill, and th- that was uh, it was something I was like I'm encouraged by this because this process is going to work. Now, as I got up and I kind of you know I was making a little bit of noise, and then guys were stirring and they were getting up and coming outside, uh, looking at what this process was doing. They they were also beginning to think like, what is this guy doing? He's taking a propane blowtorch, and just blowing it on the side of this hog, singeing, singeing the hair. Um, back in our, our early episode, we talked how this practice of actually using fire and singeing hair is not new to pork scalding or to being able to process hogs. That's something actually, when you didn't have the equipment, you literally used straw. And you make a bed of straw and you would put the pig in the middle of this straw. So you'd have a bed down, you'd put the pig in there, and then you'd top it off a straw, and then you would light it on fire. And then this would actually singe all that hair off a domestic pig, which then you would go back and then scrape. So this is just a modern twist on an old practice. And by doing this, yes, you take that outer hair off, and on these hogs, I tell you, that wiry hair, the coarseness, it it you felt like it was kind of cutting through your your skin it was definitely not comfortable to to pet uh to drag your hand down the one side of these animals very wiry very coarse and singeing this off that hair um melted melted away very quick and turned to ash and then you would come by i came by with um uh my gut hook knife um and would scrape that along the outside of the animal and that would knock down all that hair it would just take it right on right on off and after the first initial burn you are left with a dark pig you are left with an ash covered uh burnt pig but it resembles something that you would find at a fair it resembles something that you would find in a domestic stockyard In the fact that it took its wildness, being all that well, that wiry hair, and it familiarized it by having all that hair off. It it then looked like a pig. I know the people talk about what's that what's that first step in having something become an animal and transition into food, and you know that that line lies a lot of different places for people, and doing that merely taking what was this wild beast and singeing the hair off, scraping the hair off. And then you're left with something that looks familiar. It really did kind of like op- open my eyes to the idea like, Oh, we are dealing with a pig. This is pork. This, this wild beast, it's wildness has kind of been pulled back and we're not, we're now seeing something that's familiar. The second part of that is then going to be trying to take off that external epidermis. That is going to be, it's, it's one of the harder layers. It's one of the toughest layers of that skin. It's again holding hair follicles. We want to be able to get that off. And so now, what you're going to do is you're going to turn up your BTUs. And I'm now going to have more of an intense flame, a more directed flame. And for my first one, again, I again, it was just trying to get get my bearings around me. I took that bl- or I took that torch and concentrated on areas and just kind of had a circular motion to it, circling around, keeping the flame moving, but at the same time directing it onto a specific section of the skin. And you then began to see that skin shrink, which by taking a torch and going all the way that it does tighten the skin right up to the animal. And you could see things get more defined. But as I kept that there, the tightening began to bubble and begin to blister And by doing that little bit of uh, bubbling and blistering on the skin, it would take that outer layer and loosen it up. I found that keeping or hitting an area that was hit and that was hot still, if it was still warm, I could come by and scrape and it would fly off real quick. Um, I also found out the sharper the knife, the better. As our knives got duller, our job got harder, even when it came to scraping. So keeping your knife somewhat uh, intact, sharp in doing this is going to be very beneficial. But taking off that layer, you're exposing this white underlayer of the epidermis. You've got this white underlayer of the skin, and it really brightened up that animal. It took what was not appealing, not appetizing, and turned it appetizing. That if the idea is you're going to want to keep this skin, this is the process that you need to go by. And by doing that, it really did brighten up that animal and clean off all of that uh, residue. Now, even after you did the scraping, we did go by, I had a, it's a little, um, I don't even want to say it's a pressure washer. It's more just like a pressure rinser. (laughs) It's a, a battery powered little unit that has like a, like a turbo nozzle on the end of it. But at the same time, it could take dirt and ash and any uh, anything that was left on that hide of that animal at that point after we've gotten to that uh, that under whiter layer and scrape that right off and hose that right on out. And it really brightened those animals up and made them look very nice. At that same time, that hair follicle, as I, as I cut into it, that hair follicle goes all the way down to the base of that skin. You don't see it necessarily on um, domestic hogs. You see like that the real pink or the the you know the real flesh color uh, because those hair follicles are really brilliant white and they're real fine. Where again the wildness of these has made them very coarse, uh, very wide, wide hair follicle, and very dark. And so it you can see uh, you can see the whole hair follicle on where it's at. Um, so I don't think there was necessarily going to be getting rid of all of that, but at least by going through this process, I was presented with something that did look appetizing. So now it became to the point of transporting these hogs back home. What I did learn um in just in my research of getting ready for this is that pork fat also loves to hold on to any bit of debris, any bit of dirt, anything that is in that cooler is going to end up on that fat and it's not going to be able to get washed off very easily. It's just very tacky and holds on to everything. Kind of the same reason that I keep the hide on my deer if I'm going to keep it uh, hanging in the open air is I want to be able to protect what's underneath it. I want to protect the meat. I want to protect the carcass of that animal and using that its own epidermis is going to be the best thing that you can do. So doing that, that, that was one reason why I wanted to go to the the nth length of going in and, and torching these pigs. From that, I was then very encouraged because then when I split that pig down the middle, I am left with beautiful-looking pork on the inside, and I could see how it was preserved just by keeping that skin on. Um, and at the same time, I'm going to be able to to save that fat. Given the moment that I was at, is the fat going to be something that's palatable? Is the fat going to be something that is I want to keep? That was still up for debate. Uh, I was running on the idea that you know I've I've been told by a lot of people that the fat's going to be no good. I've been told by a lot of people that the meat's not going to be very good. I've been told a lot of, from a lot of people that the uh, the taste of these animals is going to be unappealing, so you might not want to use them. And not to say that I wanted to prove people wrong that it was the whole idea is not to prove anything but the idea was to experience that for myself and so that's where uh this process of how much can i salvage how much can i take back to be able to play with and utilize and toy with to figure out is it the gaminess that people are pulled away from it or is it actually just these animals are not fit for consumption so that then brings us into now trying to get these animals back so that afternoon as or that uh it was still mid-morning i would say but that temperature started to rise up and our coolness of the evening uh is now giving way to the sunshine so these had to get into the coolers and so the one cooler i brought a very nice big arctic that i borrowed i was able to put two halves uh, of two different pigs in one half from one sow and one half from the big uh 250 pound sow by being able to stick those both in there and having the bottom with the ice, I was going to keep most of the ice water below them, and I wasn't going to have anything come up. Transporting these fifteen hours and through or back up to Michigan was going to be something that I was I was going to try to really really pay attention to. Um, so I didn't end up buying quite a bit of ice. I didn't find a real good place to buy dry ice. I didn't. I guess I didn't necessarily ask a lot of people, but I thought about the, the dry ice method where I would take my block of dry ice and put that in the very bottom and then put my bags of ice on top of that dry ice. The dry ice essentially keeps the regular ice, the wet ice, uh, from melting. And then that same coolness, it just kind of slows down the... Um, the melting of both of them but at the same time then the meat goes on top of that and that's then protected from the dry ice from the layer of wet ice or regular ice with this skin that was going to be one of the things is that that's going to be a huge way for me to prevent any freezer burn or to prevent uh meat directly touching ice at that point or even get waterlogged because of those connective tissue layers holding that all together so those two halves go in, I closed the lid on the big cooler, and I said, you know what, that is going to be the way it is. I'm going to leave it, I'm going to put it into the shade of my truck bed at this point because I had the topper on it, and it's just going to hang out in there, and it should be fine. Um, the next next coolers that we loaded up, I actually had to then break down the animal um, into quarters. Andrew was very excited. Um, actually, he joined in uh, the whole process, and I've got his response, uh, from what he thought that was all going to, uh, all he thought was going to happen. So I'll make sure to include that eh, right about now. Well, all right, Andrew, I I rang you up here. I wanted your response to after the shot. Um, I know listeners are going to head over to the O2 podcast, the Ohio Outdoors podcast with you and Paul uh, you guys had to do a great rundown of the hunt that we were on, and I'll let, I'm going to push listeners over there for the full story, the full detail, um, both our successes and our misadventures on this whole hunt. I mean, we picked a lot of stories into, I mean, two days. I, it's hard to believe that that was only two days, but that was a full – there wasn't much sleep on that whole trip. But I wanted to get your impressions – of after the shot, from from when we brought them back, we we got the pigs gutted, and then into what we called the uh, the pork nursery mobile there in the uh, in the tree, and then to the final the uh, the final task there of actually burning the pigs. Where where was your head at as far as after the shot? What we were we going to do with these pigs? And the result that we ended up taking away. Were you, were you happy with that result in the, in burning the skin? Or were you like, I, I didn't know what to expect.
2: Okay. So first off, I appreciate you sending people over to listen to, I'll say it's three quarters of the hunt. Okay. Because there's a, a point where uh, a blackout occurs on my end and I had no idea what happened the rest of Saturday night. Uh, so they're going to have <laughs> to get all the details on your pig and what you guys did. Cause honestly, I had still have no idea. Like, all I know is there was no, you, you sent a picture and there was another pig hanging from the tree the next morning when I went to leave. But uh, and it was black. just for the record, it was blackout from some type of like stomach bug, food poisoning, something. Uh, and yeah. No, not alcohol induced. Uh, although My wife, the first question she asked me was how much I had drank. How much so, did you
0: have to drink?
1: Was about zero. <laughs> no, right. it sounded um, bad. I mean, so, just even the text messages back and forth was like, oh, poor guy. I really did feel bad for you over there.
2: I honestly thought I might be dying. I thought that was it. Um, anyways. Um, so to answer your question, you know, I, going down there, I think I, like I told you, it was, uh, I was going, we had John as our host and you were there. You're the culinary expert. There's a lot of people pay that a lot of money for guided trips with, with a camp chef. Right. So I was like, I'm in, I am, I'm taking <laughs> advantage of this. And I hadn't thought much past uh, how I was going to kill a pig uh, along the way. It was more of, we'll figure that out as we go. Uh, so when we got back and we gutted them, I was surprised. that a, I didn't think they smelled that bad. Um, people have talked about how bad they smelled and all that kind of stuff. They were caked in mud. Uh, and the gutting process was relatively i mean very similar to a deer um it was interesting to see how far up their heart was we've heard we heard about that going into it and i'm trying to think they i felt like they had a lot of intestines but besides that that was that was that and we hung them from the tree and then the next morning i woke up and walked out and you were out there with a massive blowtorch going to work on these pigs so john not john sorry nick I had no idea what to expect on any of this, so I was like, "Well, this is the guy that knows what's going on. So if he says get the get the giant torch, then you just get the giant torch and start smoking these pigs, right? And scrape when he says scrape, you scrape." So that was my initial reaction: was like, "Just fall in line and let's let's get it taken care of, uh, and I'll, I'll help out where I can. Just I'll be the little gopher, and you tell me what to do."
1: Well, I appreciate the gopherness. I. I definitely did not know what to like as, again, I we're still like we've talked to each other via online. This wasn't the first hunt that we've had together. And so again, there's always those feelers out there, like how do they hunt? Are they, they're more solo? Do they like to take charge? And so everybody's feeling each other out. And that morning I woke up and being like, Well, this I only had four hours at that point, my body would just would not go to sleep. So I was like, all right, let's just go to town and start working on that. And to have John wake up and come see what I was doing and then immediately like about face and go back to bed. He was not ready for that endeavor. But then to have you come up and grab hold of the scrape and be like, OK, let's uh, let's go to work. Let's let's help you get these done. Let's get these looking good. I I was uh, taken back. I was impressed that you were willing to go that extra mile. Um There's a lot of times where I do feel like if I'm doing something new and I'm having to explain a process, like I'm I'm trying to basically buy buy in people. I'm looking for that buy in. And it was very easy for you. I think that was like you saw this was the process. He's got a plan whether it's going to work or not. But there's a plan here. So we're going to we're going to go with it. Going from having to skin those pigs. I grew up.
2: I grew up in a, my parents owned a restaurant, okay, so I was always around a lot of you know fresh food, fresh meat, and all that kind of stuff. So none of that like getting your hands dirty and that kind of stuff really bothers me. Now, I did not grow up in a hunting family, so I think the any chance I get, I knew I knew you would research this, right? You had already had this all planned out. Ever since I got into hunting, it's been learning from other people, reading books, watching stuff. Here I have somebody like a mentor to actually show me and, and all this kind of stuff. So I was like, Let, let's go, right? That, that, there was no hesitation um to actually have an in-person lesson on, on how this was gonna work.
1: Visual appearance from hair to when we finished that first pick. Like when we when we took that big sow down and we started torching her with all of her hair, all of her mud. And then when we were finished with her hanging back up with her her skin, I don't want to say white skin. I'm going to say uh, tan to pearlesque. Was there a visual improvement for like a culinary value?
2: Yes, 100 percent visual. Visual uh, upgrade, we'll call it i've never been around uh, a domesticated pig being butchered or cleaner i don't know what they do for that but uh that was from what you went from to where it got to it was like okay this is a wild beast to that resembles a normal pig that is something we can eat it was it
1: was night and day so after we got uh those quartered up and we started putting those in Andrew's cooler. We Andrew quickly realized, like, I don't have enough space here. We actually went uh, into town and, and got him another cooler, a bigger cooler, so that he could then uh, take some of these pieces home and make it worthwhile for his ventures. And so did the same thing, ice in the bottom, put some, uh, put the meat on top, closed them up, sealed it up, and then away, away we were. We had one more hunt. After we ended up breaking down those pigs, and it was going to be an evening hunt, um, Dan had to leave early uh, that day, so we, we bid our goodbyes to him. He wasn't going to join us for an evening hunt. Andrew uh, wasn't feeling very well. He had, he had some sort of stomach issue, stomach bug that was bothering him, so he had already said I, he didn't know how much he wanted to do for a night hunt. And I myself was now feeling uh, feeling the lack of sleep. And so I thought, hey, I'm gonna be good to go for an afternoon hunt. but yeah, if if we get pigs, I will be out for the night hunt just because i'm I am tired. We did, we put all of our eggs into that first night, and it was gonna make it hard for the second. We, uh, we went out those that evening, and unfortunately, Andrew had to call it a night because, yeah his his gut was not helping. He ended up ralphing, and I felt really bad for him. Um, so as we were going through with our texts, John uh, John said, "Hey, what do you want to do? You want to keep hunting? You want to you want to call it?" And I was like, "You know what? I'm still sitting up in a really good spot. I'm sitting over corn. I'm in this uh, blind. Why don't you take Andrew back and I'll just call you, or yeah, I'll just expect you to come get me." uh when when it's dark, I'll just stay put right here and just know that you're on the way and he's like, excellent sounds like a good plan So it wasn't too long after that they uh Andrew got picked up and and on his way uh we're approaching dusk at this point and I I still was hopeful um I was very impressed with these critters just being that uh here cut co- here came a... A lone boar into my setup. And the way that he came in, you know, most of the people talk about how, and I guess it might be different for when a sound comes in uh, as far as a whole group of pigs. But I had one pig come in, one boar, and he flew in. Like, I mean, silently. He came in from my peripheral vision and he moved in quick. These are not slow animals by. by any means they are quick they are uh they can go cover long distances uh they are very fit for this environment so he comes in from my left side and perches up in some brush I know that he's there and I can just kind of see sections of his back but he perches up and I can tell by the wind or, or just the way the wind was going that he came in from the downwind side of this feeder and was checking the scene luckily i'm in a box and i had all but one window opened up and he did not he did not catch my scent at all but he came in you could just see him calculate like is this going to be safe is this going to be a setup um maybe he has seen things (laughs) at other setups and just knew this this might not be a good thing so he, uh, he he hangs out for about a minute, about a minute and a half. And then finally, you see his demeanor change when he saw that this is, this is going to be a safe setup, that his tail was flicked up, the normal sounds that you would hear out of a pig, just the, the little snorts. He was all by himself, and he was okay to take in all of this corn at this feeder. And so he was nibbling at the little pieces of corn that were there on the sides, and finally worked his way over to uh, the big pile of corn that we had spread out from a a bag of corn a couple days earlier. At that point, I could see him getting comfortable. I could get him, you know, his movement was going to be dramatically reduced. He was in on feeding, and that's when I knew this is the time that I need to make that shot. So using that, that AR and having the red dot, I put that red dot directly uh, under and just a little back of where his ear was at, I wanted to go for the next shot so that I could rupture that spine and drop that pig right there. And making that shot, I got a section of of that spinal cord because I shot, and one half of his body went limp. Two legs were were not kicking the other two legs were kicking, and so he began this spin. And from that, I had two more follow-up shots. My second shot, as he spun around, I tried to get behind uh, behind the other side of the head. I ended up hitting the jaw, the lower jaw of him. Uh, in doing that, it slowed down his spin, so on the next time he came around, I sent another shot into the opposite side of his neck. And making that shot, dropped him completely and i then could witness him expire right there just like you would with with a white tail that would drop in sight i was able to watch him expire and yeah done and over as quickly as it all began i felt very confident and very pleased with the shot that i put on this animal i was i was blown away about how tough these animals are as we went through, if you go in and listen to the Ohio Outdoors podcast, how any sort of side shot was just not going to really put a huge dent on these. you got to punch through a lot of hair, a lot of skin, and a lot of fat that just acts as this chain mail that just absorbs the power of, of that bullet uh, and not even making it into uh, the vitals. The vitals, after going through uh, gutting these, I found that the heart is pinned right to that chest, so standing up, it is a very low shot, and it is right behind that shoulder, making it very difficult to get a sh- to get a heart shot unless you are at some sort of quartering angle. Uh, the lungs themselves, way up front uh, of this animal, again shrouded uh, by a lot of bone. All of this that we know uh, already. But then to just to be able to see how how these were arranged inside the animal as we were field dressing just confirmed all that and just very much uh, let you know that, yeah, you're not dealing with an average critter here at this point. So getting getting my boar, having Andrew come pick me up and us celebrate by dragging this this boar back up up a hill. It seems like, uh, yeah, wherever you're going to be going with an animal, you, you do got to drag it out there, and these these pigs do get big. So, yeah, he was about 150 pounds. Um, I did have a little bit of, like, watching him come in and seeing his size, making the shots, and then walking up. I, I experienced a slight bit of ground shrinkage where I was like, ah, you know, he may not be the oldest, he may not be uh, the most impressive, but you know what? He's my pig, and I'm all about it. But I grabbed his hoof, and I went to pull, and the resistance I got was like, oh, I take that back. This is all the pig <laughs> that I could ever need or ever want uh, in shooting. So, yes, up the hill we went with, with this pig. We got him to the truck, got him loaded up, and uh, joined joined the pecan tree to hang overnight. Um same process again with him. I, uh, I torched the outside. No, actually, no. Um, we got up the next morning. I did not torch it. I saved that process to come back to Michigan. I wanted to try and put some footage on it. I wanted to try and do another job. I was also wanting to get out of there the next day, knowing that I had a long travel day ahead of me. So he was going in his full, uh, full self. He was going, well, at this point he would have been trotters off, uh, body cavity all connected so basically just the body went in and then I I set the head on top of that but then I closed that cooler and we were able then to make the 15 hours back to Michigan and at that point that really just solidified my trip to Oklahoma as a very very successful trip So now that we're back in Michigan, I come driving in. I needed a place for these things to go, and so I graciously, or excuse me, I, I happened to ask my, my family uh, at the turkey farm if they would house uh, house my bounty, and graciously they let me put, uh, put those overnight in, a, in the cooler, the drive-in cooler. So I did get back, and when I opened up those coolers, the ice had done their job. Everything was still chilled down. Everything was still cold. But at that point now, all of the ice was now liquid. I had a lot of purge uh, in, in the water, just being, you know, real bloody water. But that's to be expected after 15 hours of driving with these things. And so what I did was dump out or I grabbed, a, uh, I grabbed another pallet and I put the halves or quarters onto the pallet. I was able to dump out uh, the melted ice, dump out the purge, then I just kind of gave it a wipe down with a towel, and then put those quarters and halves back into the coolers. Slid those into the cooler and left the door or left the uh, tops open so that air could then circulate through uh, through the carcasses and really get a good, solid chill on these. They had not been given a a full chill yet, um, other than just the ice uh, in the coolers. Driving home, I kept them as dry as possible for for the trip so when they were hanging in that pecan tree it did dip down into the 50s and low 50s and maybe even upper 40s but it, it got the temperature got low enough and so when i did wake up in the morning and touch those they they were cool to the touch knowing i want to take advantage of that get those into the coolers but they had not been fully chilled and fully set uh, so that's where i got them into the chiller and they spent two days in Um, a very large drive-in cooler lots of fans that are blowing in this cooler so all of that like surface moisture was able to wick away and again the meat was uh, able to stay dry that i would say is the um one of the helpful parts of being able to travel with meat is keeping everything dry as possible so they finally get their full chill as i set up for what is going to be my my home setup so that i can transport them over um I've got an eight foot uh, chest freezer, one of the big oldies. Uh, that uh, you know the farm wasn't using it anymore, so I happened to commandeer it. I ordered a uh, controller thermostat where you can use, uh, where you can use the thermostat off this new unit, off of this little controller, to control when the freezer kicks on, when the freezer kicks off. And so by using this, I could turn this 8-foot fri- freezer, chest freezer, into a chiller. I could select whatever temperature I wanted to keep at, add some plus or minus both on the, um, on the cold side and on the hot side, and I can get this to where it'll just be chilling the animals. It will not be freezing the animals because I still have yet to process these out um so hooking hooking up that controller playing with the buttons and getting it I think I set it at 30 I think I set it at 34 degrees because I did not want it to freeze and I made it that the low end knowing that a lot of that cool air was going to sink to the bottom and we were going to have probably some 32 degrees going at the bottom but they weren't going to live in there too long to really get a hard freeze um on the these larger cuts so 34 was my south side and then as temperature would rise up, I think I gave it two or three degrees where then the thermostat would then uh, kick on the power to the uh, to the freezer and then that would then chill it down. So that's where the pigs ultimately ended up moving over after two days so I could continue having them be nice and chilled. Having them chilled sets that fat and sets that tissue, in a firm state when I then went to process these animals, if you were to say, Hey, how is it? How did you process this pig? Uh, well, I first off did a lot of, you know, again, research via different YouTube channels, different resources online. Like how do you differ cutting a pig up from a deer? Um, do you take the shoulder off of the blade? Do you take it off of quarters. I, I I transitioned and I wanted to cut these the same way that a domestic pig is cut, depending on uh, what you're looking for as far as if you wanted to utilize more bacon, if you wanted to utilize more whole cuts. Are you going to be taking apart uh, the haunch uh, and using separate muscles, or are you going to be wanting to keep them whole for a ham? Um, All these different options. I wanted to go for... Uh, especially on the work heavily worked areas, the the hindquarters. I kept those large for hams, and the shoulders. I broke those in half so that I would and have a pork butt, and I would have a pork picnic. And both those cuts, both the the butt uh, being the upper shoulder containing the, the shoulder blade, and then the picnic taking the lower part of the shoulder, having the the trotter side and the humorous or the mid bone side. Both of those respond very well to barbecuing. And I've got not only myself likes to want be able to play with this, but I've got friends that are deep into, uh, um, using their, their traggers using their big green eggs. And I want to give them a chance. So we're going to be sharing some of these pork butts and pork picnics about, um, but I wanted to try to be able to, you know, save those cuts whole, uh, I'm a big fan of pork chops, and so I wanted to see what I could do with the loins and with the chops, doing the bone-in thing. Um, Because we're not worried about necessarily a CWD-style disease on these pigs, I wanted to be able to utilize some of those bone-in cuts. So as far as the amount of boning out that I had to do on these pigs, not a whole lot. I got to really use uh, my hacksaw or my bone saw that I could then take these animals apart. And that was one big thing that I got to see the difference of is cutting these animals with a saw or cutting these animals in, in hole cuts much easier, much cleaner to do on these pigs than it was on a, on a deer, like cutting through deer ribs because of the, how lean there is, there's no stiffness. Uh, there's nothing to really solidify on. And even the you know, the muscles in between are real thin. And so they don't stiffen up real much. And so you have all this movement that make cutting through ribs difficult or can be difficult on these pigs. I could cut the full rack of ribs all the way down every rib leaving my, my section with, you know, just the ribs and the belly. I, I was able to cut that very clean, very easily and actually enjoyed the cutting process of these things. Um, they really responded well to chilling down and then to your knife. The, the biggest uh, detriment that I had to my knives was going to be that hide, that skin. It is thick, and it puts an abuse on your edge. So if you plan on cutting these hogs, keep a steel with you. Be able to rub that through after you cut through a couple of them because, man, it does. It dulls your blade really fast. So as I'm getting into these again I have them I have them chilled and right, right now they were you know a couple days uh, in the chiller being able to age and I kept waiting for this musk. I kept waiting for this bad smell. I kept waiting for the wildness to take over and it never showed up. What I was presented with was some amazing pork. What I was left with was an awesome product that I'm going to get a chance to use and play with and do anything that I want uh, because I'm not hiding behind the fact that it's going to be tasting wild. Now, is it pork with flavor? Absolutely. You are going to get uh, pork with, with flavor. But to even put it in the category of gaminess, I couldn't even do that. In fact, I got a little segment here. Uh, John was gracious enough to uh, give me his response to his whole thing. So here we are joining John uh, from the Oklahoma Outdoors on his reaction to uh, to all things pork.
0: What's up, Huntivore fans? My name is John Hudsmith with the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast, and uh, coming to you from my mobile studio, a.k.a. my sister's guest bedroom, and uh, using a mobile setup that I've never used before, so I hope I sound okay. Hopefully y'all can understand me, but Nick wanted me to jump on here and uh, give kind of my two cents from his work, uh, from his trip down here to Oklahoma, and uh, man, it, uh, it really shocked me. I'll be honest, I was actually asleep while he did most of the work, Uh, But when I came outside and saw what he had done, uh, I'm going to be honest, it inspired me a little bit. Um, You know, growing up down here in the South, uh, just the narrative was always, you can't eat hogs. I mean, I've just heard that ever since I was a little kid. Um, Never even tried, honestly, to do much cooking uh, of them because that's just what I always heard. I always heard they were no good. Um, But man, seeing what Nick did with those hogs. It, it honestly did inspire me to try to, um, man, like I'm just thinking of all the hundreds of pigs I've shot and drugged to the edge of the field just to get them out of the way, uh, because they are a problem. We do need to get rid of them. But, uh, you know, I think the, the thing that Nick is trying to accomplish here and the thing I think he has done is proven that they are of use. They are edible and more than edible. They can be really, really good. Um, you know, he cut out some of the, the tenderloins from a big sow we had taken. He marinated them all day long in like a chili lime marinade, and uh, they were absolutely delicious. Um, zero, zero complaints off those things. And then just looking at the work he did with the other ones, um, you know, torching the hair off and everything like that, uh, really taking his time. You know, he basically had them cut up into primals, you know, at least halves minimum. Uh, and they, I mean, they looked delicious. I mean, your mouth started watering just looking at them. So, uh, yeah, my hat is off to him. Uh, you know, I warned him he was going to need some, some sharp knives and many of them. And I think he learned that that was very much true. Uh, you know, he had some, some nice blades and, and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll resharpen eventually, but they're going to take some serious work. Uh, just the hides are super tough. So, so yeah, I was super impressed with Nick. He did actually offer to give me some, uh, the stuff that he'd cut up, but you know I can go out pretty much any time I want to and uh and get some more of these hogs and and he doesn't have that option so so I sent all the meat with him I am expecting you know some kind of package in return uh because Like I said, it just looks really, really good. And so I was super happy he came down. Glad that we had plenty of uh, specimens for him to experiment on. And I am looking forward to trying some of the delicious creations that he makes out of these hogs. So my hat's off to Nick. Uh, Y'all listen to what he has to say because he really, really impressed me. And uh, I think he did a great job of kind of turning the narrative on wild hogs and wild hog meat so thank you Nick looking forward to the next trip and I'll talk to you guys later
1: so yeah when I talk about uh being able to pull those those tenderloins out and add a quick marinade yeah I made it a little it was a little little heavy-handed on the spice as far as the red chili but a simple marinade that I whipped up and I really enjoy if you want something for for you shoot even your domestic pork that lime chili ginger combo just works out bang up just great job um putting those on the tenderloins and then being able to eat or to just to eat those up as is was just a treat as i went into cutting um and getting these animals packed up i have had now the opportunity to enjoy a few number of cuts so we can go with the tenderloins that i that john previously talked about how uh, um how moist they were and that partially had to do with uh, the uh, the marinade as well. Um, I did have to bring it up. I mean, I'm bringing everything that I'm doing. I am going to try to bring it up to 145 degrees. That is going to be that safe zone. I want to say that everything, as far as like anything dangerous, bacterial-wise, virus-wise, um, I think 137, I think, is when things kind of break down. But taking things a little further and going to that 145, that seems like a really safe spot. Um, And by even doing those tenderloins to 145, they were very moist, very tender, very delicious. I did the same on a roast. I brined a roast, a rump roast, which would have been uh, a section of the... Well, it's the top side of the um, hind leg. Um, so it would be right where that ball joint is, everything, yeah, north of the ball joint. I cut a straight line there. I then tie it up as uh, as a roast at that point. Uh, with deer, I like to actually take that further, and when I tie that up, uh, add a few more strings and then cut those into steaks, tied up steaks. Those will work out really well, but I kept this one as a full-on roast. And I brined this, and I brought it right up to that same temp of of 145, and um, that I kept the skin on. The skin began to bubble, began to crispen, uh, very, very chewy. So if you are going to cook the skin, I have not found a great way yet to present that. It was unpalatable, uh, just in that immediate roast. I snipped off all the strings pulled back that, that skin, but then it had the the fat cap and we ate every bit of that fat cap on that animal. So delicious of that roast. And I sliced it maybe a half inch thick. So I got nice slabs that I laid out on, uh, not only, uh, my wife and I's plate, but even on the boy's plate, they ate it up. They thought it was great. And so for two days we feasted upon that roast So if you're looking for something off the hind quarter, that was a great look into into that section. Um, My second thing that I made is I actually took him to a friend's house, and it was off my boar. I cut double chops. I will say, though, that in my talk with Brandon Sheard, when we talked uh, differences between sows and boars, and how in in an older boar, you're going to get boar taint. You're going to get that uh, real heavy, uh, testosterone musk. I got a little bit of that when I was processing, uh, my bore. I could smell it on my hand after I had gone through the, you know, as, as I was cutting things, I could smell it a little on my hand as I was packaging things up, you know, I brought the, brought it in to smell, to smell the meat. And there was a hint of it and it didn't. It's not. It's definitely surprising. It's not off-putting. In fact, Brandon alluded to that there are some communities that actually look for that, that actually desire uh, to have that muskiness in their in their meat. I took uh, three chops over to a friend's house. We were over there for the evening, and i I gave him a dusting of just a, a seasoning. You know, it had some cumin in it, paprika, salt, pepper, pretty, pretty, you know, middle of the road. Laid on both sides of that, kept the fat cap on. I actually cut the skin or the rind off the outside of it. Had the the vertebrae and bone still intact. I did punch out the uh, spinal cord so that we weren't sucking on any of that. But now at that point, we gave it a slow treatment off to the side on my buddy's Trager, his Easy Bake oven. Thank you, Josh, for letting me use that. But we we brought our temp up. I brought my uh, my Tappq thermometer in, popped that in there, and that gave me. I got me up to 140 internal. Once I got to 140, I brought those off to rest, knowing they're going to carry up a little bit. And then I asked uh, my buddy Josh to crank that uh, Traeger up high so we can get a char on there. Um, after doing that, we gave it a couple minutes to get that uh, that uh, temperature up. We set them back on, and what followed was, I would say, probably the most surprising thing I could see off off these animals is when we opened that door, we were presented with just some golden brown ch- or, uh, sear on the meat, and even the fat on the outside. it It browned up beautifully, bubbled up, and got a crispiness to it. So when actually you cut through it with your knife, you would hear the... <sharp inhale> as it would go through and you would get a touch bit of crunch off each one of those bites, making it, I would say, probably one of the most desirable parts of the whole chop was just the fat on this thing. Maybe the mildness of it was because my boar was younger, even though he was 150 pounds. His tusks aren't necessarily huge. He's my boar, though, and I think I was presented with the perfect uh, way to be able to test this out to say that, yeah, boar taint is real, but at the same time, after eating these chops and having even folks that don't necessarily get to enjoy pork very much, they were like, this tastes just like really good pork to us. It doesn't not have any sort of off-putting flavor. So all in all, the three things that I have made with this wild pork have been home runs. So I can only imagine what the next few things that we're going to get to try and do are going to be I'm I'm just so elated that the things that I'm going to be able to make and be able to do with a critter that is so I would say looked down upon in so many areas they're seen as a problem right now the only problem I have is I can't get a hold of one very quickly I should say but that's neither here nor there so what's planned for in the future Well, we are going to be doing some pulled pork. We are going to be doing the pork butt. We're going to be doing the pork picnic. I've got uh, full hinds put together still that are going to get a cure. They're going to get fully cured and smoked for full hams. My in-laws do a ham every year, and so I did tell uh, Great Grandma Faber that they will be having uh, wild ham this year. So I'll, I've got one of those put all the way. I did one boneless ham. So that'll probably be uh, the one that I take over just because it'll be easier to slice up. But then anyway, we've got a couple that we're going to do for for full on hams. Now I've got bellies as well. I've got, uh, eh, I got two or three full bellies. And then I've got some belly sections um, that I'm going to try to cure. Either it's going to be, I'm going to try some slab bacon on the one. But it is in profile, kind of thin. After searing it and after rendering fat on a on a, either a, a hot plate or even in, in the oven, I have a feeling that I'm gonna end up with uh, bacon spaghetti. I think it's gonna be real thin. So I was thinking maybe I go with a pancetta route. and if I roll the belly, cure, cure the be- cure and smoke the belly that way, I can then slice in rounds. And then from those rounds, lay that onto the skillet and to have that then fried up for breakfast. So we're going to try that route at least a little bit. One belly, I did keep back as uh, just doing belly roast um, or being able to just, you know, tie that up, put a nice checkered pattern on the fat, and then we're just going to roast that whole as is. That's just going to be some porky goodness right there. I've got a couple sections of that. Um, and I did save back off my boar, I did save the ribs. So I've got a couple sets of full racks that we're going to be able to do. My brother does like uh, pork ribs. He does something whether he uses, uh, I think he uses Dr. Pepper as one of his secret ingredients. So I'm going to let him put his magic on these and see what we can do with, with those ribs. But all in all, this was just an incredible adventure, being able to go down to Oklahoma, join uh, just you know, people that are, are are amazing as far as just seeing their heart, seeing their passions for the outdoors, and just seeing the quality people that they are. Thank you, John. Thank you, Andrew, and thank you, Dan. Um, I would say the Sportsman's Empire Hog Hunt of twenty three was very, very successful. And so that brings into question here: what? Uh, what, what all can we do with these hogs is are you can you really eat everything but the squeal well I've got some hawks that are also going to be getting get me cured up and we're going to try those those uh those ham hocks I've got a full head that we're going to do and I will hopefully document that here as I roast a full head of uh of pork we're going to try that out because I mean those jowls everybody talks about jowls on domesticated ones I'm excited to see what the Wild Ones can produce. So yeah, all this to just kind of basically wrap up with a bow, tie it up nice and tight so that we can finish out uh, the saga of the Wild Hog. It has been so much fun to get a chance to chase something that I don't normally get to chase, a, a new species that is on my horizon. Not to say that it is ever going to dethrone the illustrious whitetail in my book but i gotta say that wild hogs is maybe in my top three and if uh, if it's accessible as it was this year hot dang man we're gonna find ourselves uh getting a lot more wild pork here in the future so yeah that's all i got for you today so folks as you go on from uh today here in the spring uh hopefully you're getting a chance to to chase something whether it's going to be the new forages that are going to be happening, popping up here very soon. I mean, come on, morels, they got to be just around the corner. Or if you're going to be chasing turkeys, you know, tur- I've always taken turkey season off just because of the availability of domestic bird that I got, but at the same time, we, we're looking into uh, to getting after those birds here. I know you folks are. But whether it's going to be cutting at the stem for those morels, or whether it's going to be... Uh, taking not just the breast but the leg and thighs off your bird make sure that your blade that you're using is very sharp